0: Kyoto no my harimai. Wade Manson here from Sport Guzman Tadafti and you're listening to our podcast, The Sideline Yak. Kia ora Koto, welcome back to our segment of the Sideline Yak Chronicles of a Coach, where we get three coaches in a room and discuss topics related to sport.
1: A lot of athletes I've talked to who are females have Talked about the problems when they've got their period and their coaches not understanding how they're feeling and not being able to perform, and they're still doing the program that the males are doing.
0: On this episode, I sit down with Anna Mashtovich, Rose Hulls, and Kelly Swan Ferris, three teacher coaches who have worked in and around community and high performance sport and teach PE and health. They have been involved across a wide range of sports, including surf lifesaving, netball, football, swimming, and waka armour. Our kōrero today covers what sport looked like for them growing up, their influences, why they got into coaching and we touch on discipline and resilience. We also discuss trials and selections, coaching females and how we can normalise conversations about periods, hormones and the menstrual cycle. This was a cool conversation and something I think we need to be discussing more, especially female health and sport. The more education on this topic, the more opportunities we have to create positive sporting experiences for our coaches and athletes. One last thing, I paraphrase the book and our conversation, so just wanted to acknowledge the book and the author, The Spartan Mindset, Mastering the Language of Excellence by Reid Maltby. It's a great book. If you have a topic that you would like to discuss next time on Chronicles of a Coach, please email us at the address in our episode description. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Anna, Rose, and Kelly Kyoda. No my hoki mai. Welcome back to the sideline yak. The episode that we're doing again today is the Chronicles of a Coach. Very fortunate to have three Wahini Toa, Anna, Rose, and Kelly. Before we kick off, I just want to again just do another shout out to Rangai for allowing us to use the facility, awesome podcast facility, so if anyone is out there wanting to have a start something or keep going with something, um, it's perfect, you can come solo or you can get four people in a room, which is great. So yeah, thank you Rangai. Okay ladies, kicking off today, what I want to do is we'll just go around the room and introduce ourselves, um, tell us a little bit about yourselves, what you do. And also, sorry, I forgot to mention that um, all three are teachers. So um, another cool thing to add to to this. So I'll start with you, Anna.
1: Yeah. Kia ora. Ko Anna Maishevich toku ingoa. I am a teacher at Brisbane Girls High School and the main sports I'm involved in is surf life saving and netball. I uh, grew up in um, Makitu, in the Bay of Plenty, and uh, went through high school in Te ended up in Waikato, doing my teaching degree, and then found a job in Gisborne, and then got in the Gizzy trap. found a husband, and been here 12 years. So, yeah.
0: Nice. Thank you. Rose?
1: Kia ora koutou. Um, my name's Rose Hulls.
2: I um, am also a teacher at Gisborne Girls High School. I grew up, or well, I'm from Wairoa um, went to school by Lake Wakatuanah, and then moved into Gis- moved up to Gisborne when I was a teenager, and then been here since. And then oh, I went away for university, went down to Dunedin, studied PE and health down there, and teaching. Um, came back, and then I've been travelling on and off for about six years, using sport as my main focus to um, drive that travel. And then yeah, and then back. Back in teaching, been teaching in Gazi for six, six years or so. I've got two kids, one on the way at about five weeks, so excited about
3: that. Kia oh, ora koutou, uh, ko Kelly Swan-Ferris tuku um, um, I'm a teacher at, present teaching at uh, Te Wharui which is a teen parent unit at Listen High School, been there for going on 16 years. Makes me feel old. I started my teaching in Gisborne at Gisborne Girls High School, teaching for ed and house and then had a little stint at Sport Gisborne Tairawhiti as um, an active schools facilitator, which is an old term now because that no longer exists. But um, yeah, my um, sporting, like I'm involved with netball, bit of surf life-saving when I was growing up. I would did competitive swimming when I was younger. And more recently I've been doing wakaama, which has been awesome. But yeah, that's me.
0: CarPye, thank you, ladies. So we're just gonna kick into it. Something that we do pretty much with everyone that comes on the show. What we'd like to hear or for you to share with us is what sport looked like for you growing up. Should we kick off with you, Rose?
2: Sure. Um growing up sport sport was my my life basically, everything evolved around sport and that kind of kept me out of trouble probably at schooling a bit too because I had no no time to get into trouble at lunchtimes and things. My first sport I kind of um, started with was hockey. Our whole family started and was into it and as little, little kids we used to travel to Wairua together and um, play on a Saturday morning, I think it was. So always, always into it. And um, when I was in high school, my main sports were basketball, volleyball, and football. And I, if I wasn't training, I was playing it, playing it socially. And it was just everything was about sport, which is why I went into PE teaching um, once I left school. So yeah,
0: cool. Thank you, Kelly.
3: So yep, yeah, my funo were quite sporty, especially my dad. So we were uh, yeah pretty much put into everything you could think of when we were growing up, but mostly I did competitive swimming in my younger, earlier years, so that meant 5.30am trainings most mornings, um, and then again in the evenings, I guess I gained a lot of discipline from from that kind of training regime at an age where, yeah, I should have been sleeping, <laughs> And then I also loved netball, which sometimes clashed with my swimming because I wanted to do both, but um, that sometimes couldn't happen. But just like Rose said, being involved in a lot of sport also drove my passion to be a physio teacher. Just couldn't think of anything else I'd rather do. And yeah, just, yeah, sport has been something that's just kept me, yeah, out of trouble as a kid and just have, had given me a focus most of my yeah young life. Yeah.
0: Nice. Thank you. Anna?
3: Yeah, uh, thanks.
1: Um, for, I guess, my family as well, same as these ladies, is, uh, they were very sport-orientated, so they were key role models in my life to be heavily involved in sport. Um, my dad's a surfer, so naturally I'm um, growing up in too. It's that kind of town that you either get involved in the environment or you get on the wrong road. So we got involved in the environment and we're at the beach all the time going to surf Um, at nippers at a young age. Mum was the little nippers coach so you got dragged done every Sunday but I loved it went to a little kura in Makitu, so I was this tall, skinny white girl sort of like sore thumb. <laughs> so I just had to like use my sport as, as my way to like prove, you know, my worth at that school. So yeah, I did a lot um a lot of surf life saving was my main sport, well, or because mum was a netballer and then athletics naturally grew into that with the surf life saving. And yeah, I spent pretty much the same every every morning up for training, every evening after school training. I was so tired that I couldn't cause any trouble, so that was kind of the golden child because I was just too tired to do anything else. So yeah, you develop that that resilience, that discipline at an age going through that teenage stage when you're going through all those different hormonal changes and things that you end up being so focused on a goal that some of those other things that can happen to the teenager kind of get phased out because you've got that focus. So it was yeah just a lot of sport a lot of physical activity a lot of routine that wouldn't change it it's brilliant
0: Mm. nice I just want to throw something out and I'll open it up I've heard you talking about the three of you talking around like staying out of trouble sports that you're involved in sort of help with discipline did you enjoy it was the enjoyment still in there within sport like especially when you're growing up
1: loved it yeah I think uh I can speak for myself that I think when the results come and you are the best at what you do, then you love it. I don't know if it's for other people who are just grinding away and they're just not getting the results that they want. It might become a bit more of a tedious task, but because I was getting the results, then I just wanted to do it more and get better and better. So yeah, it was great. I agree. Yeah, Yeah. That was the same for me too. Like,
2: Sport kind of came naturally, and so I picked up things really easy. So then when you trained at them, you got good, and then you're at the top of your game. You're always trying to push higher and higher. And I loved I loved things that made my body hurt. Like You just want to do more of it. Yeah, it's good until you get injured.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There were some times where you felt like, oh, my friends are doing this. I wish I could go and do that. But then, yeah, like the rewards and the the, the good things that you get out of participating in sports sort of outweigh those, you know, those things that you're missing out on. So I guess that's... Hmm.
1: And what I say a lot to my athletes who have that kind of discussion around their social life and their training, like I always use the line is that not everyone can be a national world champion. Everyone can go drink, mm. socialise. You've got this period of time in your life where you can be the best at what you can be. Do it. And then you can you can fit in the social stuff, but you know, you've got the rest of your life to to tap into those avenues of your life too. Mm. So that's kind of what I kind of had my mentality growing up is that I've got this time to be the best and I want to do it. And then and then I can socialise after I can go out drinking and things. Once I've achieved or after you've got your results, celebrate sensibly
0: (laughs) nice just exploring the word discipline again like how did that come about was just the repetition was it like obviously the motivation for the rewards and we might have just sort of touched on it but i'd like to understand that a little bit more like how did you become disciplined
1: I think it's probably to start off as a support network you've got because you don't you can't have that discipline when you're younger if you haven't got someone willing to take you to the places you need to be. So having like a really strong support network allowed, like living in Maketu, I lived 40 minutes away from my training location. So I have parents that were willing or other people around me to drive me to those. So they help set that routine. And then from there, it just kind of naturally develops that like we've mentioned about getting the results, then you know what it takes. So then you become more disciplined and people might say, oh, you're so motivated. It's like, well, actually, no, nah. I wake up and I'm absolutely zonked, but I'm disciplined. So I get up and I know that once I do it, you're ticking the box. You're getting towards that goal and it just starts to like become a part of who you are. I think also as you get older,
2: you're aware of,
1: like Anna was saying,
2: what what's involved in getting to that point not just your discipline and your training but everything else that comes into it with cost the support and what a lot of other people are putting into it so not only do you not want to let yourself down you don't want to let other people down as well so i think that comes into that wanting to be disciplined for yourself
0: but also for others what got you interested in coaching
3: um once again just having that passion for sport and wanting to give back to your sport for what it's given you also when you have children kind of uh, there's the expectation that you're going to be the coach of whatever team they're in um, and that's fine um, so I haven't had a problem with that I've coached my daughters in just about every netball team that they've been in, and sometimes I think is that a good thing or a bad thing but um, yeah at the end of the day they're getting that opportunity and others are getting that opportunity as well I, I like being around young people. Like well, you wouldn't be a teacher if you didn't like being around young people. That's probably my reason for coaching. Yeah. And having had good coaches in the past. So my swimming coach back in the day was Gary Martin. <laughs> and yeah, it's would say, sometimes he was grumpy, but most of the time he was awesome. Hope he's not listening. <laughs> um, but, you know also um, had the chance when I was playing for high school old girls for netball I had the chance to be coached by Lee Gibbs for a year which was amazing we won it that year so that, yeah that was extra special and also oh yeah and, and Sandy um, Edge as well she coached high school old girls as well so having had those role models and those coaches who have performed at an elite level coaching you is pretty inspiring as well.
1: Yeah I think I'm probably similar like I think that sport kind of can shape who you are as a person and I think from um the people around me who have been influential and put a lot of time into them. Like there's not a lot of money in CFI saving. A lot of it's volunteer. You don't really get monetary rewards or payment for being a good athlete. So it comes a lot from the love for the sport. And I think if you once you finish, you either find a new passion or you grow your passion. And I think if people choose to coach, they're just growing the passion that they've already had as an athlete. And that's what I like to do is that grow the passion and then help young um, children or young athletes become better people like not necessarily better athletes but just better people for society and that's what really drives me is mm-hmm. helping them with their whole whole life not just sporting endeavors. Uh, for me
2: coaching when I started getting into coaching was probably more when I first started teaching and it was a way to Get fully into the school and know the students better, and you know, with teaching, it helps so much if you can get to know the kids outside of the classroom, and it helps with that relationship as well. And then, in the situation I was in, because I was playing football, so I could teach and play in the t- in the team with the students. So um, that was also a benefit, and I really enjoyed that and just seeing them kind of grow and and build and get excited about that. That was kind of what pushed me and wanted to. Do more and more interesting you're saying about coaching your kids. my kids are little like two year olds. I can't wait till they play sport because I will be coaching <laughs> you know so I am really excited about that, and just to yeah keep building on that and just get more more kids, more people into sport it's It's so good for them and not just for their physical fitness but their whole well-being to build on all those different aspects and um yeah. And bring in that support.
0: Nice, I love it. Kelly just touched on as well around her influences uh, within sport, around especially around that coaching, being coached by others. The two of you, Anna or Rose, is there any influences that have helped you in your career or journey that stand out?
1: Yeah, I had the same um, self life-saving coach for like 15 years and he's still a really close friend. Um, spindles, anyone in the surf I see will know Spindles and he was just such a nurturing coach he was like, I've got I've got a father but he's like a father figure you know dad used to get annoyed because he's an avid surfer and he would tell me where to go paddle out on my kneeboard and I'd be like nah dad like, I'll listen to Spindles and dad's like I've been surfing for like 40 years <laughs> and you won't listen to me but you know like someone who's really actually thought about your whole your whole self and thought about treated females the way they should be treated in the sport which was like my first time that I sort of realizing that that we are different as as people um as athletes so he was as and that was going back you know 15 years so it was quite cool that 15 years ago he was already picking up on how to um how to manage the different types of people and genders within a training group so I think for coaching and my sport spinners would have been the biggest one for me Um, for me,
2: most of my coaches were my school teachers actually, which is probably why that's what drove, drove me to go into it as well. Yeah. And it was just, again, it was just a good way to get to, get to know them, understand what, what limits you could push. And I think also playing sport with your teacher as a coach, you can, you can kind of use that to your advantage in class a little bit too, and get away with a few, (laughs) few more things, (laughs) which, um. Obviously, my personality, I always try and push boundaries a little bit, and yeah, so that was always a good good pull for me. But yeah, and they most of them were my teachers. beyond that were just older uh, people that had been in the in the um, game, but yeah, had kind of moved up.
0: Just something I want to touch on around being teachers and and coaches at the same time. And we know that the rate of teacher coaches is dropping. Why is that, in your opinions, what are we looking at? The workload or is it time or what is it that's really the struggle for teachers?
1: Yeah, nailed it, mate. Workload, time. Yeah, it seems, I was actually talking to my husband this morning about it. He said, you know, like, is there a a rule in school that teachers have to be involved in extracurricular activities? And it's not. And it ends up being the same pool of people that you use time and time again because they're the only ones willing to give up their time to actually do it. So yeah, it's sad. Because the kids, the way, the connection we have with our akona um, is so much better than the other teachers because we see them in a different light. We see the girls that struggle in the classroom shine out on the court or the field and and then you find a different way to be able to to teach them and to, to find their strengths. And then they open up more because they trust you and they see you out mm. playing or coaching and, and they love it. They love seeing a teacher on the court or the field having a go. They think it's epic.
3: So, even if we are getting rusty, <laughs> they still love it. It just brings another something ourselves and us saying when we have to pay students, it's even, uh, yeah, no, we can't let them be no, no, there. Pay paybacks.
0: Back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're we're going to move into a topic that we're going to have a, a little chat about it. We've got a couple of topics on here and one of them is around selections or trials. Probably the first question I want to throw out there is um, why do we have selections and trials?
1: To find mm-hmm. to find your, your teams, to find who out who's interested in playing, to find out who is the best for our top teams and then to put girls into teams who might not have huge social groups but still want to play. So we... We have trials or we or musters because some girls don't want to trial, but we still want them to be involved. So it's more we have them to gauge who's interested, how many teams we need to make up, and then who's competitive, who's social, and then we obviously trial for our top team because, you know, we all want to win in yeah. school-level stuff mm-hmm. and go away on um, tournament weeks and things like that. So
0: I like the way uh, you just chucked in there muster. It's funny when we look at coaching language and the words that we use. I know if I threw out trials, straight away people get nervous, worried, anxious. When I throw out the word muster, it's like, oh, we just come down, we're having a run around, it's not necessary. So I suppose it's, um, what am I trying to get here? It's like using language to help kids alleviate some of those fears, but it's also um, how we actually create that process for a trial, um, something that I'm quite interested in. I know that you guys have done something different this year. Well, I don't know if it's just this year or if it's happened before. And the question I was going to have was how, is, how have trials and selections evolved over the years. But the really interesting thing I saw this year, for especially for Girls High, it was around student voice and the trials were closed to parents. And sort of part of the reason, I guess, was around that safe environment for kids to be able to turn up and just be themselves. Are you able to elaborate on that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, I think we, uh, Koka Lisa, she's um, our teacher and child of netball. She's having a year off this year. We've been working on netball the last, I guess, five years together now. And we just noticed that change in the girls' demeanour when they've got parents on the sideline and they are playing, but they're looking at their parents and then parents are shouting out things and then other kids get intimidated. And then the selectors also have that kind of feeling of being judged as well so it was more to give everybody a fair chance give the selectors a fair chance to um to actually watch have discussions without judging eyes and for the kids to play and be themselves because I mean nine out of ten kids don't want their parents there the parents are just being nosy they want to get in they want to Try and put their kid where they think their kid belongs, and everyone's kid they think is an all-black silver fern, you know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they need a little reality check, and mm-hmm. that's and that's what a closed child some does. And when we put up teams, we are hundred percent happy to have the conversation with the parent if they're not happy with the teams, and we make sure that we've got all the evidence there required to um to back ourselves. But it's it's more for it's more for our students because they just get the chance to actually play, and um, not feel as they're they're doing the wrong thing, and they they seem to relax a lot more too. So it's worked really well. Last year was a was our first year or the year before, and then this year we didn't even have one. No one even tried to come in. So mm-hmm. I think it's pretty obvious now that we just that's the way we do it, and it works for us.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Kelly, anything from you? Just um, I, I see that you're coaching this year.
3: Yes, the yes, girls' I'm coaching team. Coaching this year, so I couldn't attend the trials last year and have a look and have my say from the sideline. <laughs> 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 so no, I I like that idea. Um, it does as a as a coach and a selector give you that just that peace of mind that like you're not being judged, you're not um going to have all these parents coming back at you because of because they've seen what happened at the trials or whatever. Yeah, and the girls do play a lot better when it's just. Just all the girls and nobody there giving them the side eye or whatever. But yeah, I enjoyed the trials process this year. Yeah, I think it, it works. So if I change it, no. Yeah.
0: Can I just take you back? Because you did mention you are a parent before that. <laughs> what did you think? Like in terms of like how did you process it, I guess? Because um, there'd be a lot of other parents going, well, why aren't we allowed to be there?
3: Yeah, oh, I just accepted it at, because I understand what it, it's like to be a selector and a coach, and, and as as a player as well. So, I, although I couldn't go last year, I, that was just oh well, can't go. That's it. I didn't try to <laughs> try to get in there. So, yeah. No, you just got to respect that. That's the process, and that's what works for the students and works for the school. So, yeah.
0: Cool. Student voices important, and I think it's very bold and courageous of the schools to be able to do that, lead it by the kids to say this is what we want. Um, So well done on that. That's awesome. That's really cool to hear. Looking at the kids that don't make the team around, there's that impact of non-selection. How do we help in that space? Or what do we do?
1: Well, the girls know from the very beginning that there's a place for all of them. Everyone's going to make a team. So some girls think they come and they're not going to make a team, but we always make a space for everybody so no one misses out for the impact of non-selection it's just I guess it's the relationships that we build with the girls that they trust us to make the right decisions and then have those conversations with them and a lot of the time you know the girls that aren't selectors we tell them what they work on so they can get better And they can work on that setting to then improve the following year. And it comes down to, yeah, mostly the relationship we have with them that we can have the conversations. But a lot of the time, they kind of, the teams make themselves and the girls do know where they belong a lot of the time. And Mm -hmm. if they're on, if they're on, you know, they're going to nearly make it or nearly not make it, they're usually quite content with that because they were like, well, I could have maybe just made it or I know that I'm, that's where I sit. So, yeah. I just want to build on the thing that Anna was saying
2: about having the conversations after the selection process. So it's not just about that one trial or one um, muster that they come to. It is, there's a lot of kind of background or foreground stuff that you are having conversations with individual students. And I think that is all part of the selection process as well and trying to get them to understand it's not just about skill as well. You know, it is all about who gels with who and how the team works together. And there might be attitude and other things like that that they need to work on. And, you know, it means that if you're in another team that you don't really, or you want to be in a better team, you've got a year to work on it. And right, that's your goal for next year, you know, so building around that too.
1: And we also have an attendance policy for our top teams is that you have to be at Kura at least 90% of the time. And that's, and that's also to go away on um, tournaments. So sometimes we've got kids that we're like, well, we know that uh, their attendance isn't very good. So if they're on par with somebody and we're like, well, if they're not going to start attend school, then you know it's going to go the other way because they can't come to tournament week, which is compulsory to go on tournament week if you're selected.
0: Is there anything that you would, and this is probably a personal um, opinion, anything that you'd like to see differently? done with trials
1: the hard one because it's all dependent on the numbers that you get and i think it's the kids confidence is coming into the trial so it's like it's the the pre-season stuff so like if we're looking at the quality of a trial so if a trial it's the kids actually getting the mentality that they needed there's a work before the season starts, not that the trial is the start of the season. Mm. So I think in the trial process it would make it a lot easier and better for the girls if they kind of knew what they should be doing pre-season to start easy to start better but we're really lucky I can't talk about other sports but in netball we work really well with um Gisborne netball mm-hmm. and they help us out with trials so like years before that we would have a lot of trouble with trying to put girls into teams you know someone coordinating putting in teams and then the selectors but now sport um sorry um Gisborne netball like Mon and Crystal are awesome and they come and they help us with putting the girls into teams and then running the spreadsheet over and then Mm -hmm. we make sure that it's really even everybody gets the same amount of trials and then once we have to get to nitty gritty that's when we pick out and we do match players. So that's helped with our trial process um, which is probably something that needs to happen in other sports that they've got some outside people coming in with the logistics side, so then kids feel as though it's fair because that's the main thing is that kids come away saying, I didn't get a fair trial, I didn't play in my perverted position or I didn't get enough court time or field time. So that's probably something that needs to be implemented in other codes so then kids go, okay, I got at least this amount of time, I had an equal amount of time, I got the chance to prove myself and I, I was either good enough or not
3: good enough in those those moments. Yes, yeah, Anna just touched on fitness, like coming into, well, just talking about netball, the netball season, because the netball season starts quite early and we need to get trials done, you know, pretty much, what, the third week back at school. Some of the, And some of these girls probably didn't um, pick up, haven't picked up a netball since they last picked up one last year so some girls are active like during the summer period doing various things touch and surf life saving and waka but they're those ones that are just netballers and probably didn't do or don't know what to do um pre-season for netball so it would be quite cool to run some kind of pre-season training with the girls that are looking to go for the top teams yeah so that's something. I might look at next year because as I'm coaching the girls' high senior A this year, just just to keep them in it. Because I did notice that there were some girls at the trials who I thought, oh, you know, you, you, they their fitness level was a lot down. And if it had been up where it should be, they would have been more better contenders for those spots in those teams. If you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, because you you have to when you're running the trial, you have to take them on what they put out on the court and the, and. And those trials not not necessarily on how they played last year or previous years but yeah
0: nice sorry just a really quick shout out to Mons and Crystal Um, we've had them on our podcast as well so if anyone gets a chance have a listen to those two as well because it's got some great insights around netball but yeah I think from what I'm hearing definitely clear objectives clear processes communication is key and if you can get some um, insights from the students I think that's very helpful, but awesome to hear what you are doing within uh, the school. So that's that's really cool. We're going to move on now to a topic, coaching females or young women. Interesting topic because we have brought it up. to um, so the last Chronicles of Coach we did, we had Sparksy, Adam and um, Keenan from basketball. And we were talking around how coaching boys is different to coaching girls. We did a Voice of the Coach survey out of all the coaches. So female coaches are coaching across um, male participant teams, female only participant teams and mixed participant teams. The male coaches that um, filled out the survey were only coaching across mixed participant teams and male participant teams. So we didn't have actually any male coaches highlighting that they've coached female only teams. This is an area that I really want to explore a lot more. Obviously being a male coach, I'm by far no expert in this at all. So having you here three on here is awesome. There's a little bit of vulnerability from me in terms of I'm going to ask some questions that might be uncomfortable, but I think they're definitely questions that we need to be asking and we need uh, help in this space or support in this space. So what are some things we need to be aware of when coaching kohini or wahini?
1: That they are a mixed bag of emotions. <laughs> <laughs> some days they come in and they read the go and some days they don't want a bar of you but I think the main thing is that they they can be really vulnerable and it's a space where they can sometimes feel really safe and they they need you to not just be their coach Mm -hmm. but to to listen when you need to listen to them or to um adapt things if they're not feeling it and to yeah to support them through whatever roller coaster they're going through at that time, but then you know like it's like people we're, they're all different, you know, we've got some girls that come and they just are here for a job and they want to get it done, and others um need a little bit more support and then yeah, and then we've got the hormones that are that are very different, so yeah, you guys think,
2: yeah same i I find yeah coaching boys everything was black and white you could say one thing they'd do it you know and that was it was this or this whereas with girls there's a lot of gray area and if yelling at them is not necessarily the best way of getting something done and like Anna was saying they come some do come to training with a lot of different things that um need to get dealt with or they need to get off their chest before they get into training. And I think being aware of that helps, you know, even if it's a five-minute conversation that you need to have before training starts, and that could be the difference between an awesome training for them and sitting on the sideline or not getting involved very much. And I think, yeah, that one of the biggest things is just being aware of that emotional well-being aspect of of their life, and especially in the teenage years. You know, uh, something very small can be huge to them, and just being aware of that and telling them, "Yep, we understand. This is what we're going to do." Yeah,
0: it's quite powerful. So I just jump in there. When I first started working for Sport Caspian uh we had a bunch of high school kids that came in, and we talked around like, "What are they? What would they like to see in a coach?" And one of the young female um, athletes there, students, they actually said, "If I turn up to a training," and the coach doesn't acknowledge me right from the word go, I'm not going to try my hardest then. I'm out. And that to me was sort of like a, a mic drop moment is that, you know, everyone's different, but we've actually really got to understand our players a lot more. And I think that's quite powerful in the sense that kids are able to, like for someone to actually be able to sit there and articulate that and say, this is what will happen. I think that's quite massive. So then you can start working out solutions or putting things around that to help out but I suppose that leads into the next question how much of an effect can coaches have on their athletes
1: huge you know like some kids come and they don't have a role model in their life and they're looking for that from their teachers and their coaches and if you just show that you care and that you're there to listen as well as coach them then it's can be life-changing you know you talk about a lot of athletes that have come through and they asked like you asked us who our influences were and in the coaching ward and we all spoke about coaches so you can and teachers you know I think we can all probably think of the teachers that made a change in our lives and I think that can either coaches can keep them in it or they can get them out of it so it's a lot to do with how we how we speak to them how we treat them and and how we coach them as if they're going to make a lifelong commitment or they're going to
3: have a go and then get out. Yeah, definitely. Just the way you speak to your to your team, that mutual respect. It's not like maybe those more traditional coaches mm. that um, demanded your respect and didn't really care if they respected you or not. But yeah, I think that whole that's all changed over the years. And yeah, it's more like a athlete centered approach, student centered approach, whatever that is. A lot more now. Because a lot of kids these days are coming with other issues, like anxiety is a big one, yeah. Like that's probably like that the the girl that said that if she wasn't acknowledged, yeah, mm. yeah, it's all that self worth and feeling like they belong is really important to keep keep kids involved in sport and wanting to turn up every day. Yeah, and if you're not allowing
1: them to think for themselves, then they're never going to learn how to get better. You know, like my thing is that I want my athletes to learn how to self correct, how to self like analyze themselves so then they know I'm like you know ask some questions about how they went so they're telling them what they did so you know like having that athlete-centered approach where you have a lot more conversation than just yelling and telling then they're gonna learn more about themselves and the sport and then if you're not there anymore then they can actually still carry on if they come across a different coach it's not like that they still know how to improve themselves.
0: I just want to touch on Kelly, when you mentioned around the old school way of coaching, and it's something I read just the other day around when you have uh, coaches, and it's probably a challenge out to all our coaches. The old school way hasn't changed in probably the last 50 years, um, yet medicine changes nearly every year. Um, We don't see surgeons putting leeches on us anymore. You know, like the Wright brothers invented the plane, but everything's evolved everything's um, gotten better so you know you don't see a 1900s um, fire truck putting out a fire anymore it's it's we've got to face that challenge you know like there's different ways of doing things now just going on a little bit around um, and this is this is the question um our hormones and periods are a taboo subject and how do we start normalizing this for coaches
1: um, educating men about it is how we Make it not a diverse subject. Perfect. <laughs>
2: and also just talking about it, making it yeah, you know, normalizing it, you know. Telling telling our students or our um players, yeah, let us know, you know. It can affect performance and how you're feeling
3: and all of that. So, um like, I can't do PE today because I've got my period miss. It's a red flag day. It's like, mm, no, you can still do it. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think it's also education with the, with the students or the athletes. Like, I've done a bit of work. I was lucky to be involved in um, Te Hapa which is a scholarship for elite or emerging female coaches. And we had, it was for a year and a half, and you go to lots of different camps and you get all these guest speakers in, and it's through high performance sport NZ. And we had one on the menstrual cycle, mm-hmm. and that you can actually like how you utilize your cycle to improve your performance and how you train when your hormones are at their peak. And during your period is actually a, a, a time where you can be your strongest, it's just managing the symptoms of it. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have the symptoms, then you can still actually perform really well. And the week afterwards is when you're at your strongest too. So there it's it's something to allow the girls to realise that it's not actually an excuse to not be physically active. Like, yes, they might feel lethargic or have cramps or be heavy, but it doesn't have to be for a whole week. You just, they need to learn how to do that. And that movement actually helps release a lot of those symptoms. So it's a, it's a big educational thing and it's just a cycle that has just become the norm that, you know, you you use it as an excuse to not keep yourself moving. But when we look at the whole holder, then that's going to boost your mood if you're feeling that way and that everything's evolving, all period products are evolving, that you are able to be very physically active mm. with the period and not leak. Mm.
0: Do we need to be doing a lot more in the space? Especially, uh, obviously I know that Uh, Within schools, you're doing a lot in the space, like educating the kids around that sort of stuff. But do we need to be doing more within the coaching space?
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I can't speak for all all the sports, but in Superfly Saving, it's a male-dominant coaching space. And a lot of athletes I've talked to who are females have talked about the problems when they've got their period and their coaches not understanding how they're feeling and not being able to perform and they're still doing the program that the males are doing and we've got this and a lot of coaches do it still that they and I'm guilty sometimes too is that the girls do the same as the boys when we're so physically different that our Mm. training program should be altered to the different needs of our bodies so it's just it's it's an educational thing for probably males and females because Mm -hmm. if you're an older female coach then you've been taught the old school way as well, that, you know, you don't really talk about it or, like, it's, a, it's tapu, it's your it's mm. your own thing that you hold in your space. But the more conversations we have, especially for our emerging elite athletes, then the more that they're able to excel when they are going through that, because it's a cycle, it's a month. So we've got a whole month that we have to, and it's ongoing, so... And it's also around talking about health, when, you know, the health around your period, what's the period, healthy period look like? Like, how do you use that to benefit your training how do you use that to benefit your future you know people think i don't have my period so i'm training really well because i've trained so hard my period's gone but when it's an unhealthy attribute mm. because periods help with bone density and and your iron and things like that so mm. there's a lot of things that that girls are unaware of and coaches that needs to be talked about
0: i'm gonna throw out a question this is from tracy long time listener uh, first time asking a question do you consider cycle syncing when you plan your trainings?
1: So like all like all athletes get their period at the same time? Is that what you mean? Cycle syncing?
0: Uh, I think it's, okay, so this is I, I, I said to her, eh?
1: <laughs> 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 Don't throw
0: me under the bus! <laughs> so cycle syncing, I think it's the stages of the cycle?
1: I think that's a hard one because everyone's on a different cycle. So if you're in a team sport, mm. that's probably not near impossible but pretty hard mm. because every athlete's going to have a different cycle if you're coaching an individual athlete then 100% something that you should think about and if they are an athlete that's happy to communicate that with you then and you build that relationship then it's something that you should do so you know when they when they should be doing their strengths their power-based stuff versus their endurance so yeah it's something that should be thought about It the Yeah, but I think it could be dependent on the type of sport and I guess the time that you've got, like maybe Silver Ferns totally could do it because they've got all the resources. But Mm. if it's your local high school team (laughs) and they're going through their teenage days where some might not even have their period, you know, so it's, Mm. yeah, it's a hard one.
0: Yeah, I suppose um, something else you mentioned around was the energy levels. So I suppose, if again, the education piece, eh? if people, mm. uh, if girls are aware of what they can and can't do, then it, it helps them. And if coaches are aware of that as well, then they understand where the girls are at that time. Looking at how to create positive environments for our um, girls' training, and something that I actually I, I have heard before is around going to a local sports field and the toilets aren't even open. So girls turning up that potentially may have their period are actually going, well, I'm going home because I can't go to the toilet. What's some things to help others to think about?
2: I think the biggest, one of the biggest things when I was coaching football and even playing football was, and I'm not too sure if it happens now, but the men were allowed to train on the number one pitch. Females were never allowed to train on the number one pitch because we were going to wreck it, you know, or it wasn't you weren't allowed to. So I think um, a big thing for females is that equality with males and that the sport is equal, especially with those sports where, you know, you have equal amount of participation from both genders. So that's a big one. Yeah. And another one is the facilities, making sure everything is available in in the different areas that you train, whether, you know, even if it's, okay, we need to use somewhere else for the session because it's it's got all the facilities. And I know... I know in Gisborne sometimes it's quite hard because some of them are a bit run down. You know, it all costs money, so sometimes it is a bit difficult to have that. But just being aware and making sure that they're feeling like they are treated equally and not below males. Mm.
1: And even simple things like it's just a given in our first day kit at school that you've got period period products. So like in, in every sports bag when you're at your first day kit, you've got those things really available. So if something happens, the girls have got one. Like so many times, girls have come up and they've asked you, and you just know, you know we get free period products anyway, so we've got an abundance of them. But it's like you know it's not a barrier for them. You've got that available. You've got a backup option in your sports bag for girls that. May accidentally get it when you are at training and things like that. Mm. But yeah, just backing what Rose said, just having things open, available, toilet space, having somewhere to put their period products is a big yeah. one. Having um those bins because that's another big problem that we have. Like you need to have one in every bathroom. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I suppose it's that not only positive but safe environments. Other th- things I've heard are around timings of trainings, like if it's at night time. I know some places they don't have very good lighting in car parks, or you're training so far away from a toilet if there is a toilet, and and little just things that we probably take for granted that we actually aren't thinking about. Just to like assess, reflect, look at things, and and just understand a bit more. Have you got any tips on how to have safe and supportive conversations with a young women about health for our coaches?
1: Depends on what health. It is because there is that that place where the coach needs to keep himself safe as well, um, especially to do with mental health. So, you know, like you, you might be qualified in that space. But I know as teachers, we often need to refer them on to the, the guidance counsellor because that's their exper- expertise. And if we were to take that on personally, and something happened, then that kind of brings us a little bit at fault because we need to let the professional know. So in a in a team sense, in a sports, sporting, you know, we're lucky at school that we can, if we see something around mental health problems is that you can have that conversation with them. You know, just it's that relationship. I, c- I couldn't go in cold turkey meeting a girl for the first time and have that conversation. Like it's it's a relationship thing. So it's, it's probably... If you notice something that you go in with a little bit of idea of what advice you're going to give, like, and what you're, where you're going to send them, because if you're not a professional, you need to say, this is where I, I want you to go, or do you feel comfortable me contacting these people? So make sure that you've got the resources to tell them what you're going to do with this information. Um, if it's a deal with mental health, if a physical state, then you can, it's, you can have that conversation around, you know, the nutrition if they're overtraining or their sleep and all that sort of stuff. So that's like a a, a pretty safe one that you can have with them around that too. I
2: yeah, I think they pretty much hit the nail on the head there. I think also just being open with them, like saying like, oh, I don't feel comfortable giving advice about this. Can we talk to so-and-so or can we talk to your parents or whatever? So just being open and saying, you know, I don't feel comfortable talking about this, Let's, but I want to sort this with you. Where do we go from there and i've I've actually been I've been in that situation a few times, and the kids are happy for for me to go to someone else if I didn't know what i um what I was wanting to say or wanting to do, but yeah, they were and they were very grateful that I actually talked to them about it and didn't just go and do it and then come back to them, yeah so, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, I think it's it's definitely a resource then, like I've had athletes who it's to do with like they're physically performing awesome but their their sports psychology is not up there. They haven't got the mindset. So then if you've got the resources to link them to a sports psychologist, then you can. So we've done that, but that's because this female athlete was involved in high performance. So we had the funding to get her a sports mm-hmm. psychologist to help her with her mindset. So it's it's a bit hard when you're when you're kind of in a small town and you don't might not have all those resources. But if you do and you've got access to it, then you need to, you need to use them and utilize them.
0: Kelly, in terms of like your coaching as the coach of the, the the girls team, but you've got that obviously that teacher background, but do you feel that you can, have you got the support of the whānau and the teachers or what would be something that you would do in that space if you had
3: a mm, well, situation? The, we were kind of just starting the season out. So yeah, I definitely feel I have got the support of the staff the netball like teachers and stuff at school who could support me in that area also the netball center again, crystal and the development team there they've got heaps of resources and stuff too especially around um injury prevention and stuff like that making sure that the girls get their injuries seen too and get them get them sorted properly not not um, Google physio how to look after my <laughs> sprained ankle, um, but yeah, just for their own safety because they are so young, and we don't want them to be playing on injuries that are um, that are going to be detrimental to them continuing for you know, or you know, affecting their mm. playing after school in the future. Yeah, definitely feel supported. Hopefully making, will make some good connections and relationships with Fano as well. I really know some of the Fano or some of the girls in my team. So yeah, looking forward to working with them this year.
0: Cool. No, that's awesome. And I suppose something definitely making sure you keep yourself safe as well. I think um, knowing that most of the time if you are coaching young women, obviously the school is the best point I think sometimes to go to if you are Do you have an issue, connect with the school first. Um, There'll be teachers um, like yourselves obviously um, that you can connect with that will be able to help support you have those conversations. So I think never try and go out probably all on your own. Um, You could get yourself into situations that you don't want to be in but um, definitely making sure that there's others involved is, um, is good. One last bit, just to sort of finish off this topic. There's a quote by Wayne Smith, and it got brought up, um, Sparks, he brought it up in the last conversation we had. Men need to play well to feel good, whereas women need to feel good to play well. I'm just keen to hear your thoughts on that, how you'd unpack that.
1: It's pretty old school, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I was just going <laughs> to say. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, I coach two um, awesome boys, and um, they need to feel good to perform like you know they, they're they just the same like it's that that mentality of you know if we're looking if we're going a little bit dark but the the suicide right, uh, rate amongst young male athletes pretty high in like you know rugby league and stuff like that and mm-hmm. obviously there's an aspect there that that's been neglected that you know so they don't play well and then obviously they don't play well then their mental health goes down and then they don't play well again and then it just spirals so I think that's yeah, old school, and I think it depends obviously on the athlete about how they. Some athletes might be like that, but yeah, I think it goes both ways. I could just play well and feel good, or I need to feel good to play well, and a male could be the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: I think also if you f- if anyone is feeling good, then you're more aware of your how you play and and what's going on around you. If you're going in with when you're not feeling good you sometimes have that tunnel vision. And yes, sometimes it might, you know, playing and change that attitude, change how they're feeling. But I mean, if everyone's feeling good when they're going into any game, surely they're going to be better.
1: And I think um, a big thing that we've seen deplete is the resilience of our our athletes, especially our our, um, teenage girls. Like, I mean, I've used it on netball court. I'm like, I know when I play against a high school team, all we're going to do is rattle them and they're gone because they haven't got the resilience to then support each other, pick themselves up, think of different strategies or plan A and play B. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like something that needs to be touched on a lot is how we're going to develop resilient athletes so that they know how to feel good yeah. when they play and when things aren't going wrong. They're not then feeling bad. They know how to just keep on feeling good and they know how to lose and still feel good instead of having, you know, this days of, feeling really bad about it you know so i think yeah resilience is a big thing that coaches need to implement well try to anyway Mm.
0: yeah yeah no that's cool that's awesome insights i love it this topic's been really interesting i there are there are resources out there um i know sport new zealand have a um hub a balanced female health it's a resource to help coaches and parents um who are working with young females so if there's anything um, that others want to uh, be educated a bit more around, then that's available. I think reaching out to schools, um, reaching out to your RSOs, your regional sports organisations, always a good point. But. I think this is a conversation I think needs to happen more and more. And I think um, it'll be something that we'll be uh, looking at doing a bit more about as well. So thank you um, ladies for that. That was awesome. We're going to finish off now just looking at a couple of things, uh, a couple of last questions that we have just around your own personal experiences. First, well, second to last question we're going to do is um, how has failure or apparent failure set you up for later success?
2: Failure has allowed me to be it's forced me to be more reflective. So, being more reflective on what, what happened, what I could change, what went wrong, what went right, um, and what I could do next time. So, when I go into situations, whether in sport or otherwise, um, if something doesn't go as it, as it should, I'm like, oh, well, I've learned from that. Won't do that next time. Let's try and make it better next time. So, that's, yeah, that's probably my biggest thing.
1: Yeah, I think that I thrashed the word resilience then, but I think that's um how failure has with me as an athlete, like not making a world's team or not winning a national title, and then figuring out how from there you navigate yourself as an athlete, and lots just drop off. And but I learned how to you know push through that, train harder to then get my spot or win that title back, and that's what I've been working on heaps with some of my athletes who aren't getting the results that they actually uh, have the ability to, but how do we set them up to build that resilience, see further into the future and set new goals? So I think it's developed a lot of like perseverance, um, discipline, like we talked about at the start, to then kind of get me where I am now as the lead beach coach for Surf NZ. So it's like, you know, as an athlete, I've developed these traits and now I'm getting successful in my coaching field in the end. So, Mm. yeah.
3: Yeah, so resilience is a big thing, eh? It should be failure to do anything. You just think about how you can get better so that you can have some success. So you're just always... Setting new goals, reflecting, re-evaluating um, what what didn't work, and I guess that's what I'm going to be doing as a coach—like so reflect, lots of reflections, lots of evaluating things that didn't go well on the court, how the girls can do that better, um, and trying to transpire that into them so that they know how to do it on the court without me having to tell them. So that's building up their resilience and their own belief in themselves. I guess, um, yeah. And not when things don't go right, how to, how to change it, change it instantly. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. Thank you. And the last final question, uh, what does the value of sport mean to you?
1: I think it's probably everything. The value of sport. Like I think it's, it builds character. It builds social skills. It builds motivation, discipline. It builds new skills. I mean, we don't want to toot our own horns, but I think PE teachers and are pretty good communicators. Like we know we've got good per- interpersonal skills and you think about, you know, devices have taken over the world and kids have forgotten how to talk to each other. But in a sports team, you're forced to communicate and it just builds up that kind of character to be able to work with others, learn the skills to how you talk communicate and it's yeah i think there's so much value in it that it just doesn't just make you physically fit and healthy it brings a whole lot of characteristics that help you set you up for your life oh honey, you're so good at explaining yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. and just rambling eh <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's
3: hot <laughs> it's yeah yeah it's I no, yeah, I think if I didn't have sport in my life, I would be a totally different person. Like, I wouldn't be the person I am today. And, um, yeah, just as Anna said, like, the discipline you you get, like, I, I'd say that most of us are morning trainers here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, early early rises, get the work done, get um, and then you can relax later because if you leave it till later, you just don't want to do it later. Mm-hmm. So that's my thing is I, I don't find it hard to get up and, and do what I need to do in the mornings. Um, I guess I also am a better trainer as I've gotten older. I don't know. I see the benefits more um, than maybe when I was younger, and wish I know I knew all I did back then. Yeah, I thank sporters, and I'm just trying to pass that knowledge on to my children. In my job, I teach young mamas. They, uh, yeah, they get a rude awakening when they come to Te Whare because they got to be active now. <laughs> um, yeah, so just trying to inspire and influence others to be active and 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 enjoy being active and make it a lifelong a lifelong love yeah process
2: yeah all the and like you know all the qualities that you're trying to teach your kids and and also your students you can do it through sport and in a fun environment Mm. you know motivation communication Empathy.
1: Being kind.
2: Being kind to people. Yeah, be kind to those who may not have the same skills as what you have and putting them in that environment, but in a safe environment where they can do that. Yeah. Can't speak enough about sport. Everyone should get into it. <laughs> Just <laughs> something. Make life better. Yeah, it does. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that's, honestly, that's perfect. Absolutely love the conversation today, ladies. I think to have three ladies like yourselves in the sporting world is amazing, but to also know that you're within the teaching space, the education system, just your ideas, your principles and values and everything is just, uh, it's really knowing that you're in that space teaching these kids is just wonderful. So, na thank you very much for coming on today. I know, um, unfortunately, uh, everyone won't see a video because we didn't do a video, but um, it's a little bit hot up here. We had to turn the aircon off, so th- we've done very well. <laughs> <laughs> But um, no, honestly, appreciate your time. I know you busy ladies and thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing uh, your insights. And like I said, we definitely need to carry this conversation on a lot more with coaches in this space. So awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Oh,
1: God, thank you.